Hi everyone, this is the Shopstool Podcast, episode 6 of season 3. As always, I'm going to start by introducing my two co-hosts. Joey, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are you, Robin? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. And Brian, how's it going? I am decent. Yeah, pretty good. Decent. decent. Still stuck in Melbourne. <laughs> Still stuck in Melbourne. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we, we won't talk too much about that this in, in the show, but um, yeah, there's obviously, it's still not great down there. And my name is Robin. Welcome to the show, everyone. Now, tonight we've got a guest and in what appears to be a bit of a recurring theme lately. Surprise, <laughs> surprise, he's from Melbourne. Um, <laughs> he's been a professional woodworker from 2004, but went full-time in 2015. His pieces range in size and design, and he has one of the bigger catalogs of work that I've seen on, I think, pretty much all of the guests that we've had on this show. There are a number of, of um, pieces to go through on his website. So I'm really excited to get into this. Welcome to the show, the one and only Simeon Ducks. How are you this evening? Um, very well. Uh, very excited. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, All thanks good. for for coming on. Uh, we had a bit of we had a bit of technical difficulty getting into the show, but we've <laughs> managed to work through that. So it's gonna it's gonna be a good show. We're excited yep. about it. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So what we do with with most guests when we start is just to get a bit of an idea of what you do, but also what got you to this point. So in terms of are there any interesting stories and also from the perspective of we have a lot of woodworkers who are listening to the show trying to get ideas inspiration yep. that kind of thing so what were those pivot points in your life that got you to now this point where you are making some of the most incredible stuff um okay well i suppose in all honesty it all started with um not being fantastic in high school um and when I finished up, I sort of got into a short course at TAFE and it wasn't going great. Um, and my father decided that he'd offer me a, an apprenticeship. Um, and so I wasn't super enthusiastic about it at the point, at the, at the time. Um, but I thought, you know what, I'll take it, see what happens. Um, just a new way to learn, you know, on site as opposed to, you know, book wise. And, um, yeah, so I did my apprenticeship with my father, um, which was a carpentry and joinery apprenticeship. So I started that in 2004, would have been the start of the apprenticeship. Um, yeah, did the, did the four years with him. Um, and then I suppose the more I did it, the more I started to enjoy uh, woodwork. I, I never enjoyed it at the start. It was just a job to begin with. Um, yeah, there was uh, certain elements of it that over time I really enjoyed. And I think the main thing was probably just seeing, um, seeing things come together at the end of the day, you know, like you, you work all day and then all of a sudden there's, you know, half a house to show for it in terms of, you know, framing or whatever. Um, so yeah, just, it all started with carpentry and, um, I suppose the more I did that, uh, the more I would look at pieces of furniture, even really simple stuff, just kitchen cabinetry and, you know, run-of-the-mill bookcases that you'd see in people's houses. And I just think to myself, I wonder how they joined that mm. without a screw or a nail. Or So it, it all sort of stemmed from like a practicality um, point. And, um, yeah, the more I started to have my interest peaked in it, the more I decided I needed to learn how to do it. Um, so, yeah, sort of about, I think it was 2013, I enrolled at the Melbourne Guild of Fine Woodworking um, in Melbourne with Alistair Boll as my instructor. And um, 
yeah, it really just changed my whole mindset. Like I just was hooked immediately. Um, went for a, he gave me a, really, a little short tour of the school, showed me a bunch of, you know, half finished student projects and saw dovetails and saw, you know, cabriole legs and all this kind of cool stuff. And I was just, I was absolutely blown away. So I was like, if, if all your students can do this kind of quality work, I need to come here and learn, you know, so, and that's basically where it all started. Awesome. And it's it, listening to you talk about the cabinetry side of things. It's really interesting because we, we tend to have a mix of guests. Some people come from the cabinetry background yep. and some come from a, you know, dad was a woodworker. Ergo, I am a woodworker. Yep. But do you feel like that cabinetry background and, and Joey, I think you've asked this question before in one of our other shows. Do you mm. feel like that has helped you doing that, that's, we'll call it official training, has helped you in the work that you're doing now? Or do you feel like it could have potentially hindered you because you're, you're stuck in a, in, a, in, a, in a rut with the way you work? Um, that's a good question. And it's, I've sort of considered that myself a few times. Um, I think, <coughs> like, what I did was a carpentry apprenticeship. So it's it's not cabinet making per se. It's, yeah. you know, it's a lot more stick framing and all that kind of stuff. And so it was good in, in a way that I was able to learn a ton of stuff very quickly, um, especially doing the kind of work that my father's business did, which was a lot of home renovations and new builds and stuff. But there was a lot of challenging aspects to the work that he generally took on. So we weren't just doing, uh, you know, framing or we weren't just doing fixing or anything. So I got a a huge variety of knowledge over the time that I spent with them, um, which I think has paid dividends down the track. But in terms of furniture making, it probably, it probably did hinder my, um, I suppose the the time frame that it took me to get where I am now, because mm. if I had have just gone into a, a cabinetry and furniture making apprenticeship or something of that kind, you know that would have been another you know close to ten years up my sleeve. So yeah. um, it's been really good in one aspect, but it hasn't I suppose been as good in another. If that makes sense. Mm. There there is no ideal way into. The- the world of making and furniture and stuff. Like I've kind of I approached it from the exact opposite of the way you did. So yeah, I okay, came in yeah. with a design background and no maker background, and then had to work out how to make the things I was designing. <laughs> yeah. Whereas you obviously learned how to make everything, mm. and then the design influences started to come. So talk us through your first kind of your first sort of contemporary pieces and who your influences were and when when the, those came about. Was it after you'd sort of finished at the guild that you you started to really take on designs and commissions or um so i the way it worked at the guild is i signed up to an open course which is essentially just like a three hours a week um you can go in and build whatever you want but you've got you know a a tutor there who's going to help you design it help you build it um and then i went and did a few other further lessons in like finishing and stuff like that but I all the pieces I made up till that point had been just it wasn't based on design at all it was always from a functionality standpoint so I remember I built a a dresser for my girlfriend um, and it was like all right well these are the bits of timber I've got here Um, this is what it needs to do let's go and so I'm actually sitting here looking at it now and it's you still got it 
yeah, we have to get rid of it. It's a, it's, it's, it's a bit of an eyesore, but um, it's all solid Jarrah. Um, and it's design-wise, there's 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 not really a design to it. It's you know a flat face with push-to-open drawers um, right. and a few open shelves and a, and a mirror stuck in between a couple of you know small vertical, I suppose, bookcase-style shelves on the top. But it's there's no design. So all my original, like earlier pieces, you can see that it's really obvious. And um, it, like I still really struggle with design. It's not something that's come naturally to me. Um, I'm starting to have a few more specific interests and stuff, but you know, it's it's always in the past been, oh wow, look look how amazing that piece of furniture is. Look how they they've done that leg or that joint or whatever, maybe I should do something like that. (laughs) So it's not necessarily, yeah, it's kind of the opposite to you, Brian. It must be frustrating for someone like you to watch, you know, someone like me sort of learning to design things when you're like, dude, you know, like it's probably so, (laughs) comes so naturally to you, you know? (laughs) If I could make like you, I'd be happy. (laughs) Yeah, cons and pros. (laughs) One of the best pieces of, of advice and, this was this just happened to come up in a show once was Brian was talking about designing with intent yep and as someone who's got neither a cabinetry background or a design background so I'm in a different camp to everyone I have never even I'd never even considered that as a as an approach so before you get to the design phase you, you, you know what do you want what what uh, what are you trying to mold this off? What are your influences? What are you trying? You know, all of those questions. It's very in in the early days. It's very easy to, as you say, you just need to have a thing, and you look in an in IKEA catalog, and they have that thing, and you go, yeah. well, that's what I'm that's what I'm going to build towards because that is the thing. Mm. Yeah. What function does it serve, and how do I achieve that? Mm. That's the Simeon. mindset that's always going around. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, right. Um, I, was, I was just thinking about the design aspect and, and my approach these days seems to be, um, you know, I'm super pragmatic about how I'm going to do something. So, for example, if somebody wants a chest of drawers, I will, the first thing I think about these days is, well, what kind of drawer specifically is it going to be? Am I, are we going to put runners on it or is it going to be traditional? And if it's going to be runners, I'd probably use these type A runners, which means I need to do this to the carcass, which yep. means I'm limited from, because of that hardware, I'm now limited as to the rest of the design because A, B, and C has to happen. And yeah. so then, by the time I mentally had built this out from one drawer and built it out so I can see the finished product in my head, it starts becoming, like all these options have been stripped away from me because I've decided right from the start to go with draw runner A. Um, and then I have to make that decision of, am I happy enough to put a drawing together for the client? And nine times out of 10 these days, I'm like, yeah, I'm happy enough because time is precious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you have, a, do you, how do you go about like, do you look at the, the overall, kind of think about the overall first and then just work out how the heck you're going to fit everything inside of that? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. It, what you were saying is like spot on. It's I try to get as, as many kind of um, restrictions from the client as I can um, yeah. because I mm. also find it really hard to narrow something down to a final idea 
yeah. if, the, if there's a really broad uh, that's open. Brief. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I try to get as many, um, yeah, restrictions as I can and yep. that leaves me with, with what. And then once I've got that kind of overall idea, I start my design from that point and go, okay, well, if we're stuck having three long drawers across the bottom, yeah, maybe mm. we'll keep it, you know, a little higher off the ground so it looks yeah. a little bit lighter or something like yeah. that, you know. So, yeah, I definitely take the same approach for sure. Yeah, I, um, I think I've said multiple times on this podcast that to design something with an open brief is a nightmare situation for me and you've got to give at least give me some maximum dimensions to something so I can work inside <laughs> of a box. Because yeah. if yeah. you just tell me, oh, the dining table can be two or ten metres long, then I'm just, no, I can't do that. I need to yeah, know it's got to be this long and then I can draw that box and then see what can fit inside of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I yeah, can totally relate. Yeah, yeah. So talking about the design, just having a look at your website, there's a f- couple running themes. So you've got a, a lot of the oldest style of design, which is really beautiful. You work your way up. You've done a couple of these bookcases, which I really want to talk about in a bit. Sure. But then, the la- which I assume is the last piece, you've got an Art Deco wall unit is that the the latest piece uh it's not so much the latest piece i tried to put the website in order of things that i think are the most appealing to people or you know maybe the things that i'm the most proud of so okay so it's it's not necessarily the most uh recent at the top but yeah it's it's something that i'm still quite proud of um glad that i achieved that that bookcase um Mm. Yeah, I was no. going to ask where the sudden Art Deco style came from. My house is an old 1950s house with Art Deco everywhere, and, and I've just ripped all of it off because it's just not a style not that for, I like. Not for you, not for me. Yeah, but yeah, I can obviously with that image see it, see it there. So was that a was that a, a, a design that you were going for? Or was that specifically commissioned? Uh, that one, it was commissioned, um, and I think we came to that kind of design style because of her house being that it was going to be built into her property um like it's all fixed to the walls and everything it's mm. fitting within a very specific space yeah. um so we wanted something that was going to look good within the house and within the room and that particular house had like really ornate ceiling roses um really beautiful um cornices and stuff like that and there was also a couple of other pieces in the room um, that the owner or the client was really proud of and wanted to enhance those pieces rather than completely take away from them so I took a a lot of um, yeah a lot of inspiration from the pieces that were in the room already and the style of you know cast plaster that was on the ceiling and on the walls and stuff and used a few of those elements within the piece to try to to try to make it fit within the space it was going to live. It's just such a... It's, it's absolutely amazing. amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, thanks, I really appreciate it. I was going to say, I find it so refreshing as well to see somebody who's come through um, the making side and then getting into design. It, it doesn't automatically go to like a mid-century modern aesthetic. <laughs> and that yeah. you can see a development uh, through your works. Mm. I think you sort of see Shaker and then going into Art Deco and then a really contemporary interpretation of Art Deco, yeah. which I don't, see, I don't see anybody else doing. Oh, thank you. It's, um, I suppose when I think about the furniture I like these days, it tends to be 
it's the really um, the really beautiful, the really ornate stuff that's probably a little bit over the top for a lot of people, but it's what I'm drawn to. I think <laughs> because it's it's you know usually the people that made that or designed that kind of stuff um, were making for really wealthy people, and so they're trying to make these really elaborate things that yeah. just just explode. You know, like um, so yeah, for whatever reason, I'm really drawn to that. So. I try to take those elements and put it into my furniture, which doesn't always work because, you know, that <laughs> yep. when people are making Art Deco furniture <laughs> in the 50s, they're using, like, the finest materials available and now <laughs> we don't have that luxury anymore. So there's a few restraints on it. But, um, yeah, it's just what I really enjoy uh, looking at and, in, yeah, in turn making as well. So, um, yes. yeah, it's exactly you're right there with the order of it. Like, it definitely started out with the shaker stuff, which is... A really big thing they that Alistair teaches at the guild. Um, right. Shaker stuff was just the way it was made. You know, very important to know about and know how to build. And then, you know, my I suppose my personal influence at the time was a bit more mid-century. Um, and then the more I learned about furniture and was looking at historic stuff like the Federal and the Georgian furniture mm. and then the Art Deco stuff, it all started to, you know, build. And yeah, I suppose you can see that reflected a little bit in my work these days. Yeah, I, um, it's interesting you say that. I think we probably have very similar ideas of what is interesting in furniture. Um, okay. I have said before, like early on when I first started uh, furniture, and I really wanted to, I, I tried my hand and made as as much as I could of the uh, Victorian federal type, Queen yep. Anne type stuff. Um, just because I thought to myself, I kind of feel it's been forgotten, not, not in the sense of, uh, hasn't been forgotten. I think people have forgotten how to make things like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and cause you really, you, you'll be hard pressed to find many people who can put together like, like your little Trifford foot hall table, um, yeah. I mean, I had personally not made a Trifford foot leg. I could do the legs, but not the Trifford part. Um, probably need a bit of practice. And I, there's not many people who could do that. And I really, I, I would love to put more elements of those styles in furniture as well. Because I kind of feel like, for me, you, without knowing how the old masters did it, you're kind of ignoring like generations of, of knowledge by, yeah. by, by just looking forward which I think is great as well but I feel like like some kind of personal um, uh, I'm not sure w what the word is but I feel like I kind of owe the previous generations a, like at least some time and thought of like how the hell do you guys do this with maybe yeah, sure. a bandsaw and that's it and like we've got every tool known to man and Still, and still people just, can't do it <laughs> yeah it's still bloody difficult and people say oh we'll just throw it on a CNC these days but you cannot yeah. it's the kind, It's the one kind of furniture which is you have to get out your carving chisels like yeah, uh, and yeah to, to add that into furniture I think is uh, and to add it into furniture these days and have it look new and fresh is super amazing yeah I think um, my take on that I suppose was like 
I thought there would be a small gap in the market when I started yeah. doing that kind of stuff. Um, I got offered a couple of small jobs in that kind of style and I was like, yeah, sure. Like it'd mm-hmm. be super fun to build. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be building up a bunch of new skills that I haven't done before and, and I'm getting paid to do it. And it might not be maybe as much as the piece would be worth at the end, but at least I'm still getting paid to learn. So yeah. I would take on literally any job that came my way in the in the first few years of my furniture making career yeah. um, and and every single time like I'm not saying that the piece turned it out great but I would put as much effort as possible into each individual piece to try to you know push my skills right to the limit just to try to learn yeah. as much as possible on whatever little piece I was doing and um, that's exactly what happened with that little hall table like I had mm-hmm. a pretty small budget for that and I really wanted to do a ball and claw foot, but yeah. I was like, well, I'm just, there's no way I'm going to be able to do a ball and claw foot and <laughs> still have, you know, money to buy lunch at the end of the, at the end of the job. Yeah. So I, um, I was like, you know what, I reckon I'll do a, a triffid foot and it'll be a little bit easier and I'll still get to do a bit of carving and that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, yeah and that's what I ended up with. So, that's awesome. um, yeah, I just, I really enjoy the challenge of that, of building that kind of furniture and, you know, like it would not live in my house. Um, my partner, Catherine, would definitely not allow that either. But um, <laughs> it's probably a good thing. But yeah, like I really, I really love building it. So um, it's, yeah, it's, cool. it's great fun. Yeah. Can I ask you uh, a wee question about the Art Deco cabinet? What sort of scale is that? So you see the opening in the middle? Is that head height? You can walk into that? That's a full-size set of double doors. Full-size set of double doors. So that would be like an 1860 opening or something like that. Um, right. and, and, yeah, two metres tall. So I think the, the final measurements for that piece were about 4.6 wide and I think it was about oh, 2.4 high. Nice. Yeah, so okay. pretty big. And, and, and one, one quick technical question about it. I've... Yeah, sure. I've um, I'm just about to take on a tambour door for a client yep. and I'm admiring yours and wondering how the hell you got the marquetry to line up without the saw curve messing up the, uh, the pattern. Did you uh, cut them on a bandsaw? <laughs> um, no. So there's actually, if you want to see a video of it, there's, I've done a little um, video that's on my Instagram which shows the process of making those doors. But um, if anyone doesn't have that and wants to know, what I did was... And this is gonna, you guys are gonna laugh at me for this, but <laughs> I was really concerned about movement in those timber, um, in those timber slats. Yeah, uh, are they oh, they six mil ply or eight mil ply or something? Or? No, so I, I made my own walnut plywood because right, the, okay, the corners were going to be exposed, and I wanted yeah. as, as it turned the corner, <laughs> I wanted to, to it appear to be solid walnut. So yeah. I resorted nice. a stack of walnut and made a walnut plywood out of I think it was seven layers, um, and then Whoa. and then I veneered the canvas onto the back. And mm-hmm. then I made a face veneer and I inlaid the um, the motif on the front with the white oak and then the quarter sawn walnut within each of those sort of um, yeah. shapes. And then I pressed that veneer onto the front. And then once that was all, pr- sorry, I've skipped a part. So once once the veneers were all pressed initially, um, I cut the slats on the panel right. saw and then cramped them together and then I veneered the canvas on the back and the front um, the front veneer over the, over the yep. face. And then, and I then did you in- slice it? 
individually sliced every slat <laughs> with a, um, a marking gauge, yeah. And then did you have to go and clean up, like, sand each corner, like, yeah, while so it was I attached to, to the and, canvas? Yeah, I had to go back and <laughs> put a tiny little arras on the corner yeah, of every, yeah. every piece. And all the interior, the interior sides of the slats were all shellacked and polished before it was cramped together and then veneered. You crazy person. So I remember reading in a book um, that this was it's a quite an old book actually I should I should get the name for you but um, they were talking about how to make timber doors and the guy was very um, he was making a point that you needed to polish the sides of the slats before you clamped yeah. it together and put the the canvas on the back because otherwise the slats can stick together and then yeah, you're, you're just course. stuck with a solid board so polishing all the sides and then doing the it's final actually, pressing after that it's actually a practical part of it is to stop it gluing together yeah yeah for sure yeah awesome very good Thank, thanks for answering I, i'm <laughs> gonna tell my client i'm not making walnut plywood <laughs> but uh that is amazing it's the timber doors are great they're 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 really fun to make and that's the satisfaction when you actually get them in the groove for the first time and they slide around that corner it's it's awesome like i really love it and i think i'm sure you'll love the process as well whichever way you go about doing it i'm sure you'll be yeah. stoked with the outcome for sure I'll keep you posted. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I, I saw on your website was to do with costing a project. And I thought this would be quite interesting because we talk about this quite often on the show. Yep. One of the things I noticed is that you have a, a, a base price of $1,000. That's where a project's going to start. Yep. Is that still something that you're actively doing? Well, that's something I've I've actually put that page up recently because I get really tired of the conversation um, <laughs> with people that just they really have no idea what furniture costs. So you get you know you'll get three quarters of the way through a you know a briefing and whatever, and then you finally start talking about the money, and you realise that they've got nowhere near enough money to even consider a project that you're talking about. Yeah. So. I've just, I suppose I've put it there as a little bit of a deterrent, um, which sounds bad, but I'm just, I'm really, I'm at the point now where I'm just kind of sick of wasting my time talking to people that they're comparing the prices to like an Ikea or a 40 Winks or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's like, it's, you know, if you want that, just go and buy it because I can't build it for that price. You know, if you're, if you're coming to me, you're coming for something that's specific for your needs and I'm more than happy to cater for that, but... I have to get paid at the end of the day as well. So um, I'm really, it's not a, a set base price or anything like that. It's just more of just, hey, let's be realistic. If you want anything, it costs money, you know. Yeah. That's really smart. Um, I was just about to call my website guide today and say I need to redo it because it's about four years old. Um, okay. And I was thinking that is something I think I'll add in myself is some just kind of base price. Um, although I do have kind of base prices on some of the pictures on my website, um, yep. just to give people an idea of what the, some kind of types of things cost, but having an extra page just to say, look, shit's going to cost you money. So yeah, be, yeah. for some, some reason, somehow my name has gotten out to some people, there's one particular like university <laughs> class that every year without fail, I get at least one request from this design course or something to say, yeah. I, I need you to make this little box thing. It's always a little box that does something weird, like <laughs> has a, a button on it or a secret 
something or other. <laughs> yeah. And as I'm like, I can tell it's, I can tell it's from a student, the way they, everything they interact. I'm like, okay, minimum price, this little box is going to cost you $500, like absolute yeah. minimum. And I just never get uh, a, a word back. Uh, I don't yeah, know why yeah. they keep contacting me, but yeah. It sounds like you're the, you're the local woodworker who's good at what he does. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And it is a bit frustrating. Like I, I do feel bad sometimes because people like, they might be ignorant, but it, you know, they, it's not their fault. You know, the, I think these mm. days yeah. people expect to get a lot for not much. And that's, that's fine. We do live in a bit of a disposable world where things are way cheaper than they should be at the moment. So I'm not having a go at anybody or anything, yeah. but it is just a bit like, you know, like I, I can't do anything in less than a day, you know, like if I'm going to start <laughs> yeah. something, it's going to take a day. And so if it's going to take a day, I need to get paid for it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I think uh, I know a, a guy in Wellington that I think I'm not sure if it's on his website, but he does say essentially every job is a minimum of 20 hours because yeah, okay. you, you can't do much. Like it, most jobs are going to take you at least half a week to actually finish it. Yeah. 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 For sure. And yeah. So like, that's a pretty good way to get rid of the tire kickers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I was a little unsure putting it up, but I was like, nah, you know what? Stuff it. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I think you're dead. Right. Yeah. Um, can you talk us about some of the commissions with a uh, friend of the show and constant name dropper on here, Adam Markowitz? Some of the collaborations. Yeah. <laughs> some of the collaborations you've done with him on his stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's sort of, it's mainly come out of necessity. Um, he uh, is an incredible architect, incredible furniture maker as well, but he's just time poor. Um, mm. So he comes up with, well, he gets he gets asked to do commissions for people. And I think at the moment he's just like, look, I'd, I'd love to do this, but I don't have the time and I need to prioritise, you know, the, the good paying stuff, which is the architecture. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he sort of, yeah, got in contact with me initially um, now that I'm at the VWA, which was pretty easy, sort of walked two bays over and then said, hey, how would you feel about uh, doing a collab? And, um, yeah, I, I jumped at the idea. I saw the, the design that he'd done for the... Um, the hero um, bookcase or the hero cabinet. I forget exactly what it's called. But, um, yeah, I saw the design. I was like, yeah, that's fantastic. I'd love to build that. So we sort of chatted about exactly how we'd go about it and made some sort of design, not so much design decisions, but um, structural decisions together. Um, and then, yeah, I just sort of got stuck into it. So I've, I've had a great time working with Adam. I think he's... he's very practical um, in terms of costing and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, I think because of his background in architecture and the clients that he deals with, he's you know he knows what things are worth and what they should cost, um, and he knows what's involved in building them as well. So he always comes with a very mm. realistic and open mind, and we sort of yeah have had some fun on a couple of projects together recently. So yeah, it's been good. The, the hero cabinet is an absolute ripper of a piece but yeah it must have been really different dealing with clients who would just sort of leave you to it versus dealing with somebody like adam who obviously knows his shit and yeah for sure um and how hands-on and hands-off he was at different points like was there any tension over things that um there, there wasn't any pretty naturally 
Yeah, there wasn't any tension. Um, we, we get along pretty well anyway, and I think we're both, like, when we come to do a project, we're both pretty upfront about everything together. Um, so, you know, he had a full idea of the cost going into it and the challenges that were involved in building it. So, yeah, no, we, we worked really well together through that, and we did encounter some issues. There was... Um, I don't, know, I don't know how much he wants me to say about this, but <laughs> he designed that to be, you know, an individual standalone piece. Um, but what he hadn't thought about initially when he designed it was getting it into the, the place that it had to live. Um, <laughs> yes. So the challenge with that one in particular was it had to go up a lift, um, down a hallway and up a, a set of stairs with a really low roof. Um, mm-hmm. And if you look at it, it's a, you know, it's a corner cabinet that's, you know, two point, I think 2.2 metres high at the highest point, um, 1,800 long. It's, it's, it's not going to turn a corner too easily. So we then had to figure out a way to make it dismantleable um, and so we could get it into the, into the house. So that was one of the problems that neither of us had quite considered until we were about you know, a third of the way through the job. So that changed a few things and it made it, um, you know, a little bit more challenging than it needed to be. But, you know, we, we got it figured out and it was it was good in the end. So that's, yeah. um, that's a pretty important, actually, you, you're bringing that up and, and we've talked about it a little bit. Uh, Brian's got awesome stories about that. Um, no, don't, don't. Uh, about PTSD. Like <laughs> <open>. <laughs> um, you know, it's one thing to come up with a cool design that you love and, and the clients love or the clients bring you a design kind of idea and it looks good. And then when you start looking at where can I actually put a cut line in this thing? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't line up with anything, any feature of the piece. It really, that's when I think your, your kind of skill set gets tested um, about how can you actually design around the fact that this piece has got to be broken down into like eight different pieces and then we've got to put it back together. What are you going to do? We're going to screw it back together and then hide the screws and then put doors on top of it. You've got double thickness carcasses and then it's quite a a major feat to take a design and split it up. Yeah, for sure. That's that's why uh, me and Joey, I think, start with the problems and solve them (laughs) first and then do the design afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think um, you're you're bang on. Find the find the point because I always have always thought most jobs. I would say ninety percent of jobs are essentially the same thing. We're building some kind of box. There's probably going to be some decoration on it, but there's usually one element that makes that job special or different. And it's working out how you incorporate that one element and then how you solve all the problems that that one element changes to your standard kind of quote-unquote box making. Um, And, yeah, once you find that solution and then it's pretty well, go ahead and do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, the problem solving is, I think it's one of the the funner parts of our job, you know. It's Mm -hmm. like... The design, Absolutely. as I say, is like it's something that doesn't come naturally to me. So, you know, it's it's like the, okay, well, it needs to turn a corner or it needs to wrap around here or how am I going to how am I going to make that happen? And that's, you know, it's really enjoyable. And when you finally figure out the solution and then you're able yeah. to implement it, it's just like, you know, it's a it's a fist punch to the air, you know, like it's... Absolutely. It's a great feeling. 
Yeah, I, more and more I've found myself enjoying that challenge of sitting in front of my computer because I always model everything up once I've thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I love that of like, okay, I've thought about it, I'll draw it up. I think this will work. Talk to some other people, show them the drawings. Do you think we could actually pull this off if we did this and then the next day would do this thing and then after that would be able to get a screw in from this angle and then would attach that panel and like okay yeah sure i think i think we can do it <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah that's always fun well i think one of the things about um being at the vwa that i've learned is um most of the other tenants there uh work yeah through 3d modeling in one way mm-hmm. or another to, de- to design and um I, as you can probably tell from prior to this podcast, I'm really <laughs> bad with computers and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So um, there's no way that I'll ever be able to do that, I don't think. So uh, wow, all, my, really? all my designs have always been hand-drawn. And, wow. Um, so it's, oh, wow. I, I don't really solve many problems in the drawing phase. It all tends to happen as I'm building. So, wow. um yeah, they're usually pretty crude drawings initially, and I'll end up doing a scale drawing um, just to make sure it all proportionately looks pretty good. But then, yeah, there's a lot of decisions in my furniture that just get made as the piece is coming together. I like to that, sort of watch it, well. watch it come together, and say, okay, well that that's going to look a little bit too thick if I keep it at 60 mil. Maybe I'll take it down to 55, and we'll just make everything else to suit. You know, so. That was probably a bad example, but you know what I no, mean. No, I do it's, that exact same thing, but I do that on I I do that on the model because, um, especially for the scaling thing, because it takes time to draw a scale drawing. For one, you've got to know how to draw with pen and paper. Yeah, um, it's kind of the opposite approach, really. But I find like yeah, I it can takes just ages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how do you give a client any? That do you give a client the the hand drawn kind of scale drawing and say it's going to look like this but in 3d (laughs) uh yeah pretty much yeah i'll I'll, I'll do a pretty um well again pretty crude 3d um drawing yeah and i'll say look you've got to trust me but it's gonna (laughs) look like this but just a fair bit better you know and obviously uh like you can't get as much detail in a drawing as you can into a full-size piece so you know that leaves me a little bit of room to be able to be a bit more creative throughout the process as well. So I can add a bead here or there. I can, you know, Uh, put a little cove in or something like that that I think is going to enhance the piece. But it's not necessarily something that the client needs to know about at the start. Um, What I've learned recently um, is that there's a lot of people that can't visualise things. Mm -hmm. And so if you give them a, like, you know, maybe just a, what do you call it, like a, a standard drawing, like a, a job site drawing that's, you know, got the plan view and the front view <laughs> yeah. and stuff. They they can't they find it really hard to turn that into, you know, a three-dimensional piece of furniture in their mind. And and that's fine. Um, so if you overcomplicate it, it confuses them. So I try to keep my drawings fairly simple and, you know, I show them a lot of, you know, um, reference pictures and things like that and say, look, I'm, I'm leaning towards something like this with a cove like this. Um, but we'll see how the piece comes together and I'll make a decision down the track. Are you okay with that? And they'll be like, generally they're like, yeah, that's fine. Well, that's really cool. I, that, so when I first started, I was really paranoid that clients, I would make one of those creative decisions and the clients would 
say I didn't agree to this little cove. Um, so I would I would do whatever I could to draw in every detail I thought I was going to make on the piece and have like I spent hours kind of finessing a drawing and saying your piece is going to be exactly like this and I would build yeah, it exactly okay. yeah. like my drawing because then I'd say if you don't like it it's right here you have the drawing of it yeah, but, you agreed to it yeah. yeah yeah but I love the idea that you kind of a little bit shady on the actual details and you go oh well you know that looks better now <laughs> yeah I think you're I- obviously at a point now as well Sim that you have a back catalogue of work that clients yeah will trust you to produce something that's yeah, it's that's right. I, I, I think I rely on that quite a lot actually now. Um, at the mm. start, I would, I would, you know, give them as much information as I could, like you say, because I don't want them to be surprised. I don't want them to turn around and say, oh, I didn't like that and have to rebuild mm. something. But now I feel like, you know, if, if they're asking me to build a custom piece, which, you know, literally every piece I've ever made has been a one-off, you know, that they can see all the stuff that's on my website and make a decision whether they like my style or, 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 or even, you know, the design decisions that I'll make throughout the process. Like they can see, you know, that each piece has sort of come together by the end. Um, and if they're, happy to, if they're happy to trust me on that, then, yeah, we both end up usually with a pretty good finished product. Cool. You said something earlier about Adam, um, the hero cabinet that you did with him and his ideas on costing being an architect. It just yeah. actually struck me how clever that piece is in the fact that there is very, very little material in it for quite a big piece that has a big presence. Yeah, There's it, very little volume of material and lots of repetitive elements in it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, he's done a really, really good job designing that piece because it serves a number of functions, like it acts as a bit of a privacy screen and it acts as a bookcase and holds a TV and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, you're right, it has a really light appearance to it. Um, when I was purchasing the materials, it didn't seem like there was next to none. Like it still seemed like <laughs> there was a fair bit of stuff in it. But um, yeah. yeah, it gives the appearance that it's really light. Which you know, he's he's a brilliant designer, Adam, and he's he's got a really good eye for detail and you know, seeing how things are going to come together. So yeah, my hats off to him. hats off to Adam for okay. yeah his his skills. And what about at the minute? Are you working on anything interesting? What am I working on? Um, I've. It's probably you probably haven't seen much of it yet. I, I did just did another um, collaboration with Adam. We made a really big dining table, um, and there's. I think he's put up a couple of, maybe one or two photos of it so far. But that was another real challenge. Um, that was really fun to build. It was three meters long, which isn't crazy, but it's reasonably big. A mm. meter wide, but the kicker was that he wanted it a metre high to use as like a bit of a tasting table as well as, you know, be able to sit up on bar stools at the table. Um, so we had to design this thing um, to be structurally sound and strong and not rock or twist or anything yeah. at a metre high, which was a bit of a challenge, um, which, you know, Adam resolved the design of it really well. And then we sort of came together to figure out structurally how we were going to you know, beef it up and everything. But the extra challenge with that again was I had to go into a lift and had to go up 40 <laughs> floors. Um, oh. And so it all had to be able to be dismantled. Um, so we sent it up to Brisbane and with some very, very careful measurements, made sure that it fitted into the lift and got up to the, the top of the penthouse. And um, yeah, it, it worked out really great. It was solid blackwood, really, really beautiful table. Again, Adam's done a, a brilliant job on the design. It looks really sleek 
Um, but yeah, that really fun to build as well, like super challenging. Um, the, I suppose, oh, sorry, I'm talking a lot because you, you haven't seen it, so I'm going to have to describe it a little bit. But yeah. it's got these, um, how do you explain it? It's them? the OG table, right, that one? It is, yeah, yeah. Yep, so have yep. you seen a, a picture of the, the front I leg have, or anything? yeah, the legs, yeah. So there's these huge, like, what are they? They're like nearly 300 mil deep. Um, oh, the name has escaped me. Um, bridle joints from the, oh, yeah. the rails into the, the legs mm-hmm. and they're all exposed at the front. And so, you know, these really fun, challenging joints um, throughout that, the process of that table and yeah, a lot of things that went into it were yeah, really fun to build. So that was another good one. But currently just uh, doing some bread and butter work, uh, restoring an old table. And uh, hopefully coming up at the end of the year, I've got a bunch of good projects lined up. So yeah, the next six months should be pretty fun, I think. Awesome. Do you have as a, well, this could lead on, but we'll try and keep it short. Do you have a... Um, a finish of choice for finishing your pieces or do you send everything out? Uh, no, no, I, I finish them all in-house. Um, but I kind of feel like there's always, a, like a there's no super finish, I don't think. No. I, I, I always lean towards a shellac and wax finish wherever oh, cool. I can. Because, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, I enjoy the process. I think you end up with a really nice um, yeah. finish that's like, easy to repair, it's organic, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm aware that, you know, you can't use a shellac finish on a dining table because it'll just get trashed. And, yeah. you know, I'm aware that there's multiple finishes f- for, for that reason. Like if, if when I did uh, my bench tops in the kitchen at home, I got them all sprayed in two-pack because I figured that was going to be the yeah. most hard-wearing um, finish that was going to be suitable for that kind of work surface. But if I'm doing like a cabinet or something that's not going to be, you know, touched or have uh, coffee Match. cups or anything put on it too yeah. often, you know, I th- I'm always going to lean towards a shellac and wax finish. Right. Okay. So you did that, say, even for that really large deco piece, you shellacked it? I shellacked um, most of it, uh, but I did use a lot of Danish oil on that too. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I spoke to the client and said, how prepared are you to maintain this? <laughs> and she said, "And she said, yeah, look, I'm, I'm prepared to do what it takes. I'm spending a bit of money on it, so I want to look after it. I said, all right, well, the majority of it will be fine. I'll just do that in shellac, but every so often, you know, maybe once a year or once every two years, if you want to rub on a coat of oil, um, yeah. that's going to keep the, uh, yeah, give it a bit more longevity and keep yeah. it looking a little bit nicer. Yeah, cool, yeah. It's always good to kind of know where people stand. I know some fine furniture guys will just straight up send their stuff out to a professional finisher because it is a whole job in itself. Oh, um, for sure. I tend to try and do everything myself um, unless I'm having to paint a door gloss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a different story. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think finishing is a, is, is a whole nother skill set and I don't claim to be a finisher um Mm -hmm. I just I did a few classes in uh, French polishing and rubbing shellac and that kind of thing and I just enjoyed it and I feel like I picked up that that particular skill reasonably well um so I don't know heaps about like 
grain filling and like you see these mm. guys like you know Liam Thomas and stuff who are just yeah. amazing at doing their um, the repairs on the mid-century stuff and yeah. tinting and all that kind of stuff. I can't do that and I don't no. claim to be able to. Um, that's a full another set of skills. But, yeah, where I can, I like to do the finishing myself because I, I also think that's one of the most re- rewarding parts of a job is um, you, know, yeah. you spend all this time making it <laughs> and getting everything perfect, sanding it to it, you know, to a T, and then once you put that first coat of finish on, it's a real, yeah, it's really exciting. All right. I reckon we'll probably leave it there because we've we've hit our time. Um, we could probably carry on talking for <laughs> for a fair bit longer. I reckon. Yeah, and talk about woodworking forever. <laughs> yeah, such such as the craft. But um, yeah, let let's let's call it there. So to everyone watching, uh, sorry, so to everyone listening, <laughs> if you did enjoy the show, please go ahead and give it a rating on iTunes. It really does help us out. Joey and Brian, thanks again for hanging out um simian thank you so much for coming on the show uh, no no it's worries been, re- been really great to hear your story and um i hope everyone listening uh, got as much out of it as we did so thanks again everyone take care and we will see you in the next show see ya see you guys thanks guys see ya